We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Man, oh man. So all I gotta say is that everybody need to get their popcorns ready because on today's episode of the Pride Podcast, we have a very, very, very special guest. Former Detroit Lions tight end Hakeem Valez joins the show to talk about his time in Detroit and also some obstacles he had to face becoming an NFL professional. Make sure you tune in on episode 66 of the Pride Podcast. Yo, what is going on, guys? Welcome back to the Pride Podcast, episode 66 on the Blue Wire Network. And today's episode will be sponsored by Romans. And for today's episode, it's a very interesting one, something that we don't do very often. We got an interview with former Lions tight end Hakeem Valise. So, Hakeem, you know, obviously we're on the team last year and, you know, you announced retirement at an early age. So I just want to ask, how's retirement been for you? Any new hobbies you got into since being retired or anything like that? Um, yeah, man, uh, not really hobbies. I, I essentially retired just because, you know, I wasn't as passionate about football as I was about what I was doing in the business world. And also having a one-year-old daughter, it made it pretty difficult to, you know, be the investor slash entrepreneur I wanted to be and be the father I wanted to be and also play in the NFL. It ultimately just didn't make sense. And I got to a point where I was just waking up every day and I just did not love what I was doing. So I walked away. Okay. Okay. But Um, in terms of, you know, actual hobbies and stuff like that, you know, I... My biggest hobby is just hanging out and playing with my daughter. Besides that, I'm doing real estate. I just founded a new media company, and I have some investments in the cannabis space. Awesome, man. Awesome. Um, Have any, like, NFL teams or AAF or the, like, XFL, have they reached out to you? Um, So right after I retired, probably for about 
probably about six, six to eight weeks. I'm probably getting like a call or two per week to like, hey, come in for uh, we want to work you out, blah blah blah. We get you on the next flight out, and I'm like, yeah, I'm retired, my friend. I'm sorry, and uh, that's kind of what happened there. And then, but yeah, that's about it. No, necessarily AAF or XFL. Um, but who knows? I might come back in a year or two. We'll see. Okay. So, oh, so there might be some interest coming back into the league playing some football? Yeah, it's more along the lines of once I get my businesses stabilized to the point where like I'm self-aware. Like When I was playing in the league, I know that I was a journeyman, meaning I played three years for three different teams and nothing is stable, right. nothing's guaranteed. Yep. And once you have a kid, it's really hard to live a life that way so i you know ultimately walked away from the game so i can build my businesses like i wanted to in this 2019 age where it's the ripest time to actually build a business um you know especially in the digital space um but once i get these businesses stabilized and to a point where you know my income's coming in at a residual level where i know no matter what i'm making x amount a month then football becomes football again and it's no longer a business and that's once i can get my businesses to that point 150 percent i'll go back okay so you were on the team for 2017 you're on the team on 2018 so tell us something that we don't know about you man that you don't know about me hmm i think there's a lot of things a lot of people definitely don't know about me um you know probably one thing is when i was uh i'm not sure if you know about what happened to me out in haiti you ever heard that story I read a little bit article. I believe it was a uh, Burkett or Kyle, one of the beat writers. Yeah, I- Kyle. Kyle dropped a dope, dope. It's something that I actually kept really a secret my whole time while I was playing because it was essentially my chip on my shoulder that a lot of people didn't know about me. Because being a undrafted guy, practice squad guy, most people don't know shit about you anyway. And I essentially used that experience as you don't know anything about me. And I, me personally, I don't watch football. I don't watch TV much. I didn't have cable while I was playing in the league. And it was like my secret weapon in that sense. And at the point when I did the interview with uh, Kyle, I just like trusted and respected him enough. And I loved his writing style. And at that point, I was already knowing that I was probably going to walk away from the league anyway. So I was like, you know what? Why not do a story with Kyle? And we, we mean, he, we, he interviewed me for probably over an hour. We had an amazing, amazing conversation. But essentially what happened, long story short, I was on a missionary trip back in 2015. Um, back in college, I was a bench player. Never seen the field till my senior year of college. And between my senior year and my fifth year, uh, my mom, my dad, my grandma, and a bunch of nurses from Villanova and a couple of other missionaries, we were out in Haiti giving out medicine to different churches and orphanages across the country. And while we were there, a uh, eight bandits uh, stormed into our compound. They shot through the front door, um, got shot at point-blank range. I got hog-tied, so hands tied behind my back, feet tied at my ankles, hands tied to my feet and blindfolded. And they went room to room and stole everything. They punched one woman in the face, attempted to rape another lady. I mean, I pissed myself and didn't even realize it until it was all over. Um, it was wild. They, we thought they left. In reality, on our compound, we had a medical clinic, and they were stealing a bunch of stuff out of there. And at that point, my dad untied himself, crawls out to the front door, shuts it, locks it. They, my dad starts to untie me, and then all of a sudden, you hear loud bangs on the door again and yelling in Creole. And we think we're safe because now we're dead bolted in. Originally, we had the screen door open when they first stormed our compound. And they start shooting out the window. So all of a sudden, there's just bullets just flying through the house. And we're just sitting ducks. So my dad opens the door back up for them. They rough him up, throw him on top of me, go through the house again, steal more stuff. 
called the police. Police wanted to know where we were. They don't come to that neighborhood, so they hung up on us. Um, they then uh, we had a pastor who was staying with us, and essentially, if you didn't know where his bedroom was, you would have never looked there. So he calls the next door neighbor, tells him to go outside with your gun and just empty the clip out in the air. So you just hear all these gunshots going off outside. And then that pastor had also done the prayer that morning at the prime minister's office. And he calls the prime minister himself saying, send the police. We're under, the, we're under attack. And uh, so probably about 45 minutes to an hour from when it all started, you hear sirens in the distance. The bandits, they scurry off. The cops, they were there for five to ten minutes told us take pictures on our phones if you want and bring them by the station if you feel like it and uh, have a good night and that was it and I, like it happened on a thursday night and i started my fifth year like summer workouts for monmouth university monday morning and overcoming that traumatic experience is what i credit for me getting to the nfl and most people don't know that most people don't know that about me and I've always used that as, a, I mean, I think about it every single day and I frame whatever I have to do every single day against that experience. Because once you've experienced something like that, nothing's hard, essentially. Yeah, I could, I'm in the worst shape of my life right now, but I could probably run a marathon tomorrow because it's not as bad as being shot at, tied up and pissing yourself. Dude, that is wild. How old were you when all this happened? Bro, I was a senior in college. So, I mean, I was between my senior year and my fifth year. So I was 22. I graduated on... I graduated the week before like from undergrad that Wednesday, and then we left for Haiti on Friday, and then Thursday is when that whole experience happened. So this wasn't that long ago, man. You're, what, 27? Yeah, yeah so, 27. Yeah, so it was five four years ago? Yeah. Four or five years ago? Yeah, that's, that's crazy, man. That is actually yeah. wild. <laughs> Damn. Wow. Yeah, right. I didn't mean to shift up the uh, the whole interview. <laughs> <laughs> you asked man, something. all right. Let's, no, that's, that's let's most people it. don't know that about me. No, man, that's, that that's, that's awesome to know. Um. All right, so you said you played at um, Monmouth University. How was your time down there? Did you like it? Was it was awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I love Monmouth. And honestly, to see the progression of where they were when I was there to where they are now is unreal. I mean, we had a 4,000-person stadium when I was there. Now they've completely rebuilt the stadium, rebuilt the scoreboard. Um, we've won the Big South this year, undefeated in the Big South. Our coach got the coach of the year. We were ranked number 11 in the FCS, beat the number four team. Um, we just got knocked out by JMU last weekend um, in the second round of the FCS, FCS playoffs, which is unreal. I mean, first year we won an FCS playoff game, second year ever being in the FCS playoffs. But while I was there, I mean, I was a bench player. So, I mean, I, I literally rode the bench till my senior year. I played wide receiver. I was playing behind a guy named Neil Sterling, who he just finished his fourth year in the NFL. And I believe he's He's, he's retired now, for now at least. Um, I was his backup at receiver, so it was hard for me to get on the field because he was the stud. Like It was his redshirt freshman year. It was my freshman year. And we were essentially the same height, same weight. And because he was the star, I never got in. I got in for onside kicks and onside kick return up until my senior year. And then senior year, I made the move from wide receiver to tight end. First game, got my first catch. Second game, got my first touchdown. And then started every game after that. I mean, so you didn't go to like a huge university. You didn't play as much like your first four years. How did you like get your name on the NFL? Because NFL is not an easy job by any means. <laughs> yeah, no, so, like, how did you get your name out there, man? I mean, it probably definitely helped because my, my little brother played in the league for three years as well. He got drafted to the Raiders, played with the Bills, and went back to the Raiders and then did some time in the CFL. 
But I mean, with me, it was just ultimately playing tight end is such a specific niche and there's not many tight ends with my type of speed and my type of agility come in from playing wide receiver and, you know, being willing to, I think, not really essentially not knowing much helped me because I became a sponge and learning a whole bunch of different things and being open and receptive to those type of things. But I mean, it really came down to just working my ass off. I mean, I had four touchdowns in my total college career and under a thousand yards. So to put that in perspective, I think it just, it really came down to opportunity, meeting preparation. Like I, the team, I went, I went undrafted to the Cardinals and I, they didn't come to my pro day they didn't work me out until the week of the draft. Their assistant GM came out, and we uh, worked out together, and I, I knew I was going to go to Arizona at that point. That's crazy, man, because, like, you see, like, players that go from big universities and, like, have good numbers just never get the opportunity. So that's awesome, man. Like, I'm, that's sweet. And then uh, was it, like, your coach recommended you switch to tight end, or did you, like, ask for it? How did that work? So it, it came down to – it was a couple. It was multifaceted. So it was – nine days into preseason my senior year and i because i was on scholarship and because i redshirted my freshman year you know if you don't play they're not going to just give you a fifth year and i was just like oh like camp came around and it was looking slow for me at wide receiver i'm like damn it's gonna be another year i'm gonna be on the bench and this is it for me in college and wrap it up for a college career with zero catches zero touchdowns and zero time on the field Mm -hmm. and i was talking to one of my buddies who's also a receiver his name is thaddeus richards um, we were just talking and a, a tight end at that point is one of my best friends to this day, Zach, he had gotten a concussion and I was just like, I went up to the tight end coach and I was like, Hey, like coach Gallo, like what's your thoughts on me potentially moving to, uh, you know, what's your thoughts on me moving to tight end? And, you know, he was like, I've been, I've been waiting for, I've been waiting since you've got here for you to ask me that question and okay. went to my, went to my, uh, Went to my tight ends, my, my receivers coach, and he he, he respected the move. Then, um, you know, from there, he, he was just like, you know, we, we just put the work in. I, I had I put on 40 pounds in about a month and a half. And at that point, you know, I was eating five slices of pizza with every meal, a bowl of cottage cheese, and uh, hard-boiled eggs with some crushed-up celery in it every single day after every meal, and did a whole bunch of loading phases of uh, creatine and put that weight on super, super fast and was able to kind of, you know, roll with the big dogs. I was in awful shape, had a gut, and my face was like so fat <laughs> from it. But I was able to have a little bit of weight on my ass to actually get out there and do my thing. That's sweet, dude. So how hard was it for a player to go from team to team, getting, like, signed and released? Because, you know, I, you know, us being fans, we see on Twitter all the time, like, all the transactions going on with the team. So in 17... And even 18, you know, you get signed, you get released on the practice squad. Like, how is that going through? Because, I mean, I got to assume that it's not easy at all. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's nuts. I mean, most people don't understand it from an actual player's perspective. You know, people, most fans are, it's it's all perspective at the end of the day. Like, you know, players think, oh, fans are effing nuts. Like, they don't really get it. And then players are like, oh, fans are like, players are soft. Like, they're in the NFL. You should, at the end of the day, it's all perspective and empathy right. and realizing what, you know, I can see that you guys actually have some empathy for, you know, what players go through. I mean, it's real. I mean, imagine working at Staples and you drop a stapler and they say oh you're fired and you know all of a sudden you got to move your entire family and your newborn to a whole nother city across the country man that's crazy yeah and if you're on practice squad they don't pay for your moving either so it's you just got to take care of all that stuff 
and move your like next day across the country. And I mean, it's it's real. Like to put things in like real perspective and not to get you know too deep on you. I mean, I literally my after my rookie year, coming back the second year with the Cardinals, we played the Hall of Fame game against the Dallas Cowboys on August fourth or August third. Very next day, my fiance, it was her uh, first trimester appointment, and we had a miscarriage, and it was awful. I mean, it was a, such a huge blow, And but that's also middle of camp. What am I supposed to do, sit out for two weeks and then lose my job at that point right. or actually struggle through it like mentally? Like, I mean, I'm, I, I ended a few practices literally just crying, like uncontrollable crying, and finishing that camp off, then getting cut, and you're just like, holy shit like this is so real and like get cut next day my fiance had just gotten the surgery after having a miscarriage back in st louis so i get cut from arizona fly straight to st louis you know to be with her very next morning i wake up with like 10 missed calls from my agent and it's like hey you're gonna fly out to detroit tomorrow um they want to sign you to your to the uh the practice squad and you got practice tomorrow night or next day and i'm like all right and then literally i'm in detroit and like it's already just getting real but like obviously fans don't necessarily see that side of things and like yeah. you know that perspective obviously i mean it's it's rough but like getting cut it's sometimes you can like take like take it take it with a grain of salt when i got cut from the lions it was actually pretty funny um it was my i used to live in uh right off of southfield across the street from the Krispy Kreme, and um so i live like probably like five to ten minutes from the practice facility and I'm I cut it close one day on getting to getting to practice and I get I'm so I'm flying and there's construction on Southfield. So I have to, you know, go on ways and find a back way to get to the facility. And I get pulled over like right like oh, I'm like, right there. Cops are, <laughs> he actually happened to recognize me and I played for the Lions and was like super cool about it. He was like, Hurry up, bro, I know you gotta get to practice. I'm like, <laughs> word. I get to the facility, I'm got my bag like hanging from my arm and I'm sprinting in. And as soon as I get to the front door, like every team's got someone that they call the Grim Reaper. And once you see them, like you want to either go to the bathroom or just get out, just stay away from the Grim Reaper because if you guys make eye contact and if he's there for you, you're getting cut. And literally, as soon as I open the door, he's sitting there right at the table and I was just like, all right, let's go upstairs. I know you're here for me. And I get cut. And it was just like, it was just hilarious because I just rushed, busted my ass to get to the facility. And yeah. now cut. Uh, who is our Grim Reaper? Who Do you know who it is? Ah, he's just got a really, like, type of face. <laughs> if you see him, I'll, I'll look him up and like I'll, I'll shoot him over to you and you'll know exactly. He's just, I can't remember what his name is, but he's just got like a... <laughs> I don't. I don't know how to really explain it, but you, you know what I mean. But I, I honestly don't know his name because you don't. You don't want to get to know the Grim Reaper. You just yeah, know yeah. exactly what he looks like, and you just stay away from. Him. <laughs> yeah, was this in uh, seventeen with Caldwell or in eighteen with Patricia? Say that one more time. Was this in two thousand seventeen with uh, Jim Caldwell or uh, with eighteen with Matt Patricia's team? No, this is with Patricia Caldwell's team. Yeah. I played. I played P Squad um, whole year. Yeah. Mid-season, the Cardinals tried to actually sign me to go back to Arizona um, to their 53, and it was wild because I'm a real estate guy, and I literally just I just closed on a duplex on Tuesday. I was going to live in one side, Airbnb the other side. Friday, literally it's Thursday night, so you guys know Darren Fells? Yeah. Yeah. I played in Arizona with him, and we played in Detroit together, and we were like best friends. And we're at breakfast Friday morning, and Ifani Moma, he's a tight end for the Cardinals. He's retired now, but... We're talking like, yo, did you see 
Mo, he got he like messed his ankle up last night because the Cardinals played Thursday night football that week. Okay. Really, damn, like that's crazy. And like Fells like jokes around, like, imagine they, they call you back and try and sign you over there. I'm like, yeah, get out of here. They ain't gonna call me <laughs> Whatever, whatever. And go to meetings and I get out of meetings and I check my phone and literally there's like 20 calls from my agent, all these texts like, hey, Cardinals want to sign you like right now, call me. And I'm like, all right, I got 10 minutes before I got to get ready to go to practice. And I call him and he's like, hey, Cardinals want to bring you back, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I'm going to be honest with you, bro. Like, I'd love it here. I love Jim Caldwell, the system that he's kind of put together. And like, I really actually see a future for myself. And I was like, but like, obviously you got to go to the money. You got to go, you know, 53 man. He was like, well, look, I could maybe see if I can negotiate maybe a 53 man contract while you stay on the practice squad and actually see how much faith the Lions have in you. And I'm like, all right, do your thing. Negotiate what you got to do. And he's like, cool, call me after practice. I'm like, awesome. So he must have called Bob Quinn like right then and there because right before practice, like everybody goes to the weight room to kind of get their stretch in. And I'm stretching and Quinn calls me. He's like, hey, can you come to uh, our uh, strength coach H's like office? I'm like, yeah, sure. So I'm stretching in H's office talking to Quinn. He was like, yeah, I know the Cardinals want to take you on. I'm like, yeah, shit's crazy, right? And he was like, uh, he said, well, just to be honest with you, we really like you, and like the least we can do is give you, uh, bump your bump your salary to a 53-man roster salary. And he was like, but look, like take some time, think about it, call your agent after practice, and we kind of get to the bottom of this. And I'm like, all right, cool. So literally the whole practice, like I'm with Fells, just like weighing all the pros and cons. Like, <laughs> shit, like should I stay? Could I, should I go back to Arizona? Like I literally will be back in the desert tomorrow, blah, 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 blah. And ultimately came the decision to stay and, um, you know, stayed. And then, you know, I played the rest of that. Well, stayed on the practice squad the rest of that season until the very last game yeah. against the Packers. They, uh, they, they promoted you. Yep. Yeah. Played most of the game and then made it back until, you know, played the whole offseason, was with Patricia. And then, you know, made the team kind of coming out, coming out, coming into the season. I think opening game was against uh, – the Patriots Sunday night football. And uh yeah, we kicked their ass, I wanna say. Yeah, and, the opening game was versus the Jets. Oh no, yeah, it was the Jets. Jets kicked <laughs> our ass. Awesome. Monday night football. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how was the mood after that game? You were in that locker room. Like I know you know everyone says every game is like we focus on the next game, but we all know like that's a like talk. Like how was the oh, mood yeah. actually? Uh, it's either it's either after every game in the NFL, it's either funeral vibes or it's literally like you just won the Super Bowl. There's no in between on any game ever but like that game especially like we had a pretty good preseason like we were thinking we're hot shit coming into the season and the jets of all people like kicked our ass and like it sucked man and like it was rough especially for me i mean i didn't have the greatest game i was uh, jamal adams covered me the whole game and shit he kicked my ass like being just real with you he crushed me i had zero catches and because of that they complete like i had a whole package probably had like six to seven plays that were just designated like knowing i was going to get the ball but like yeah. their defense they, they they jamal adams was either sticking me or they always they had like this soft corner and like a lot of my routes were kind of like 10 to 15 yard sale routes going out and there was just no bubble for me to actually get the ball ever and because of that literally week two i think we played the patriots and uh, the niners I, niners yeah do we win or not? I could get you, got, you, you guys lost the week we <laughs> the lost. first game was, week three was your first one on sunday night Gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. Um, but after that Jets game, man, like my whole workload just completely just dropped off, and it, it sucked. But it's life; it's part of the game. All right, guys, let's take a quick commercial break, and then we'll be right back with you. 
Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or we blame ourselves by saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it all together with excuses like, I had a long day at work. Or, sorry honey, I'm just not feeling it. Try to make it feel like you're tired. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it. With a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It is simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Get it started simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete a free online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be hard to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today and connect with a real doctor to take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and a free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. Yep. And we're back. Um, so, like, after a loss, are the coaches, like, ripping you guys, like, on film? Like, do they call out players? How does it work? I always wonder that. So, like, when you guys have meetings, right? Oh, yeah. Do the coaches, like, show up, play, like, don't do this shit or do this shit? Like, how does that work? It depends. So, uh, you got a micromanager like my, Matt Patricia. He's, uh, you know, for example, he <sighs> – that shit is tough. Shit is the worst of them. So it was you, after a game with him, you know, you spend a solid hour and a half or so, maybe a little bit more, literally him breaking down every single damn individual <laughs> play of the game. And he is your ass to, from Prater on a field goal to Stafford on a pass to Slay on a route to anything. He's just ripping everybody apart for. Oh. Shit. hour and some change then special teams coaches come and rip everybody's asses apart for an hour and some change <laughs> then you go into your individual meetings and like the your 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 position coach is so worn out because he just got his ass reamed out all morning and the night before by the whole coaches watching film they're in such an awful mood and just dead they're not necessarily ripping your ass unless there's plays that you know we specifically covered and you made some serious you know mental errors um it's kind of just like it's just funeral vibes man like the whole it's the worst there's nothing worse than walking into an nfl facility after a game like there's a there's literally nothing worse okay All right. so you so you made the team in 2018 from mm -hmm. the get-go you know from preseason and you're on the team for i think like about a month you got i think waved after the cowboys game week four so i have no idea which week it was but yeah one of those weeks yeah dude my memory is like I have this, <laughs> my memory's my memory's crazy. So like I I think I remember it was after the Cowboys game. So um, were you like shocked by any means? Because you know it's a new regime, new coaching staff, and they liked you enough to you know promote you and make the fifty three man roster out of preseason. Were you shocked after one month they parting ways with you? Yeah, but I they brought me back to the practice squad right after. Yes. Um, yep. but yeah, I mean it was just like it's the nature of the business. I think Tavon Wilson had hurt his shoulder. And they weren't going to cut Tavon Wilson and put him on the practice squad because yeah. he could come back in two weeks from the injuries. They cut my ass and brought some another safety in for Tavon okay. and just went light on tight ends. And I just went – I think I got signed back to practice squad the next day, which is cool. Um, but, yeah, I was shocked. I mean, I was 
hoping another team picked me up at that point. I did not want to go back to Detroit. Be real with you. I could give two shits, especially because I'm not in the NFL anymore. I, I did not like Patricia like as a coach. So that's kind of where I was like, I was praying another team picked me up and I didn't have to go back to the practice squad. But it is what it is. So you didn't like the transition from Caldwell to Patricia? Jim Caldwell was in my all, all my years of football was the best coach I've ever had. I only had him for four months because I had him from September to December and he got fired. But hands down, a gentleman's gentleman, the, the greatest coach, in my opinion, in the NFL, because I don't I mean, of the coaches that I know and the most the best players coach for anyone. I know the fans might not feel that way, um, but man, Caldwell was unreal as a coach, to say the least. And that transition from Caldwell to Patricia was just like it was like beyond night and day. It was I couldn't I, I I can't even fa- I can't even get I can't even put words into it. That's that's it's very interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. Me and my me and my uh, co-host Pierre we're not the biggest fans of Matt Patricia either, so <laughs> that's all we're gotcha. that is, Yeah, we'll see what happens. Little, we got this little laugh right now. <laughs> yeah, we'll see we'll see what happens. Um, I'm surprised he hasn't been uh, fired yet. I mean, I think coaches should be treated the same way players. They fuck up. They should fire. Sorry for cursing. I'm not sure what you're no, really you right. no, you They you fuck up. They should, be, they should be fired the same way or cut the same way or anything of that sort. Um, but it is what it is. No, we're building a long-term whatever. So why don't you give players the chance to build long-term in that sense? It's just life. You know what I mean? All I right. could two shits. But, yeah, Patricia is... Uh, He's Patricia. Oh, yeah, we were actually going to ask you this question. You played both for Caldwell and Patricia. What do you think about the culture that Patricia's trying to build here? Uh, <laughs> no. he's, he's creating a culture based on fear. Okay. Yeah, so. If you could kind of put that into words in the sense of, you know, it's the, 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 there's too much ego involved. It's a very alpha-beta type of room, meaning he's the alpha. Everybody else better yeah. be a beta, you know, in I don't know how many years or however many uh However many meetings there was, you know, in the time that he was there, there was not one meeting where he came on time. Really? Wild to me. Like, wild to me. Like, so much disrespect in that, in my opinion. Yeah. In the sense of, we come late to a meeting, we get fined. Yeah. And it's just like, he did it. It was like, it was almost on purpose to let you know that you're beta, I'm alpha. You're going to come on time. I'm going to come whenever the fuck I want. That's life. So he was basically walking around like he was Bill Belichick, but he doesn't have Belichick's resume. He was Bill Belichick with his own twist. Like, I mean, we had a lot of guys on our team that came from the Belichick uh, regime out in New England. And, I mean, all of them, like, yeah, this shit was not like this in New England. It's Belichick with some steroids added onto it. Oh, <laughs> oh shit. Or okay. muscles, whatever you want to call so, it. So you don't think this regime is going to work out here then? No. I think it would if people I, – I, I wouldn't say no exactly. It would work if – if every single player got on board with the shit he was pitching, but That's guys, though. it's all, we're all grown ass men. It exactly. will work in college. Definitely. But you're not going to, you can't talk to a grown ass man any way you want. If you talk to one of your employees at any workplace across America, you need to get punched in the face or someone would just quit on the spot. But where the issue comes in is there's so much money on the line. No one can do that. And that's why, one, I walked away so I can get the leverage back in my hand. So if a coach does talk out of pocket like Patricia would, I could literally say, fuck you, I quit. I'll go wherever <laughs> yeah. I Someone else will sign me, or if not, I'm straight with business. But yeah. like, that's, where, that's where it's just not, like, it's not football anymore. When, you got, when you're going through life every day, 
thinking like that, mentally like that. Like it's not you're not thinking about football. You're thinking like, damn, I had to deal with this asshole today. Yeah. Right. So you uh, and I'm not saying by the way, I don't want to cut you off. I'm not saying that like no. in sense of like fuck Detroit, blah blah blah. Like, I love. <laughs> I literally watch every single game. Like I'm a, I, I'm a diehard Eagles fan, but I have so much love and respect to one the team, the city, the fans. I feel bad for the fans in that sense, but like. It's got to, I wouldn't say like, it's got to be a whole regime change. Like Martha Ford's got to sell the team. Like she's still calling shots. That doesn't make sense. I have zero respect for Martha Ford, mainly because I've met her 10 to 15 times. And every single time I've met her, she's reintroduced herself. Hey, Martha, how are you? And she's just, hi, my name's Martha. <laughs> are you shitting me? You know what I'm like that, I have zero respect for you at that point. Like I, I can get like, I have zero respect for you at that point. And like that. I felt that every single time. I'm like, damn, like I'm really a nobody. I so, literally just got done this game and I'm walking down the hallway and she's walking with her posse of her family behind her. And I'm like, hey, Martha, it's a good game today. Like, hi, I'm Martha. I'm like, what in the fuck is going on? <laughs> she cuts your text, dude. Like, she, she should know you. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's wild. I mean, I, the ownership game in the NFL, it's just most, most. Most owners, their football team is not their main source of revenue. It's their country club sport, meaning it's their thing to brag about to all their other wealthy friends. Oh yeah, I own a football team. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's 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 essentially what it is. So you said in the top in the beginning of the podcast that if you would consider maybe coming back to the NFL or playing football in general, mm -hmm. if Patricia is still in town as the head coach in Detroit, would you ever come back to Detroit? Uh depends i don't know at, at that point i probably would because it doesn't matter anymore yeah. it mattered so much when i was playing because that's my livelihood i'm depending on yeah meaning that's how i put food on the table when i can put food on the table any other way you can say whatever the hell you want i'll either talk wild right back to you because i'm a grown-ass man you're a grown-ass man you're talking wild to me i'm gonna talk wild right back most people won't do that or have the audacity to do that because their livelihood depends on them being yes sir yes sir no sir blah 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 blah. do you know what i'm saying whereas yeah. if we were anywhere else if we were on the street we were anywhere and you talk to someone that way it would be an issue and so i mean if i came back if i had my money straight my, my money straight from a residual level and i can just you want to talk crazy to me i'll talk crazy right back you want to cut me cool i'll go somewhere else okay so you just got that you know um, and it's not like a fuck you attitude it's just yeah. more of like a you got to give respect to get it at, exactly. at some point. But when your livelihood depends on it, you can't. Yeah. Like you have to be yes, sir, no, sir, a yes type of person, if you so, know what I mean. So back in 2018, 2017, you were kind of more like that, just trying to. 100%. You had yeah, okay. to. Yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, okay. I had to. I mean, I was building businesses at the same time, but not to the point where I could just say, you know, screw you. My livelihood depends yep. on this. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so you said like you'd call out stars. Did any of the stars like say anything back? Like for example, Stafford, like he's like a leader. You like they can't cut him. They'll never cut him probably. But would you like say anything? Would you just sit there and just listen? Like would anyone say anything? Any of the stars say answer back or anything? They just not listen? out, not out loud. No, no one, no one, no one had the audacity to say anything out loud. I mean, they could they'd still say Bill. It still depends on that. Yeah, like Stafford, other guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because there was a Quandre Diggs. I mean, I guess the reports are that he got traded because he spoke out or something they like that. They had an opinion, and they didn't like his opinion. They traded his ass. 100%. I mean, that's that's, that's just how it goes, man. It's yeah. 
It's wild. It's, if you if you have any type of individual individualistic, I don't know if that's the right word. Um, you know where you're doing it, and you're not conforming to the everyone else and what how everyone on the team wants you to be and all that type of stuff. Like they're gonna cut you, and or they're gonna trade you. And I'm trying to think because there was another example of someone else who got golden traded and or, yeah, golden got traded, but I'm t- I don't think he. Damn it! Who was it? GQ Man. said, GQ said he wanted out too. Was it Ebron? Uh, it wasn't. E- I mean, Ebron was his own self in that sense. I love Ebron. That's my dog. Um, I know most of the fans don't feel yeah. the same way about that. Um, Ebron's one of the most talented, probably, players in the NFL. Just, just got to tap into it. And, you know, sometimes he needs people- to get off social media and just focus on his game sometimes. Yeah, a lot of people do, but at the same time, I hate when people say that. And I'm not like saying that to you, like, you know, screw you for saying that. I'm saying it more in the sense of, you know, people are like, oh, this guy's tweeting and he should be focused. I'm like, what the fuck do you expect people to be doing at eight o'clock at night? Like doing push ups or running routes or, you know what I mean? Like, in that <laughs> no, sense, but like, what I'm trying to say is like, he like, he tweets at fans. Oh, yeah, like, at I, fans I don't, that's like what I'm that. trying to say. He could tweet, 100%. but don't tweet at fans. Like, it's, it's, but it's, you got, I see it with the eyes of empathy. Like, some, not everybody's cut the same. In the sense of some people can ignore that. Some people want to engage with that. Because at the end of the day, no matter who you are, where you're from, someone talks to you like that or says something about you like that, you're going to say something back depending on how you're cut. If you were grew up in a different environment where you could ignore those type of things, you're going to ignore those type of things. Whereas if you got people on Twitter, on whatever, and the only thing you're seeing – like. You got to think of it from perspective. If every day you've got 10 to 50 notifications of people telling you suck, like leave, you're trash, people making memes, all that shit, and you're just going to take that all day? Like that's that's not life to me. Are you going to either stand up for yourself or just let that shit just continuously happen? And I, I mean, I, I, I see the angle of both sides. I wouldn't necessarily probably engage that much, but who knows you you never know until you're put in that situation you know what i mean and like at the yeah, end of the right. day when you've got money like ebron too you can say whatever the fuck you want like who cares you know what i mean and i don't true, think, yeah. i don't think engaging with fans and stuff like that is taking away from you focusing on the game when you think about it when you're in you know, high school and your friends are just fucking around and talking shit about you and blah 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 and you talk shit right back that's not taken away from your game if you know what I mean in that sense. I think it's just more of fans have a lot of audacity and players have a lot of audacity in, in certain situations. And it's just at the end of the day, it ultimately comes down to perspective. And most people can't put themselves in another person's shoes. Fair enough. All right. Fair enough. Um, a lot of people have criticized, not this year, but like others, a lot of people have criticized Stafford about his leadership. You were obviously in the building and stuff. Could you like explain like Stafford's his leadership? The quor- Stafford's the greatest quarterback in the NFL. Wow. Stafford's oh, okay. the GOAT. And from a leadership perspective, he leads with his actions, but he'll he'll lead with words. I mean, you we're not in high school anymore, we're not in college anymore. So that rah 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 shit doesn't do much. It just looks cool on social media. Right. When, when the Raiders or when I mean it was awful, but when Jameis Winston is eating a W and shit like <laughs> that, people expect to see that type of stuff. That don't do shit except to some people who are cut that way. Stafford leads with his actions leads with how he shows up every day leads with pure leadership in the sense of he will call you know if he wants to or needs to step up and talk to the entire team 
I respected Stanford's leadership when, I mean, as an undrafted practice squad guy in the offseason, he's hitting me up to go and throw at some, I don't know what school it was, whatever high school in Detroit that has an indoor turf. Um, that school, it's like a private school. I think Bob Quinn's son goes there. Long story short, spending three hours, four hours on a Saturday with a guy like me to throw, that's leadership in its own. You know, understanding and knowing the offense and essentially running the damn offense in every way, shape, or form, running the practice in every way, shape, or form, that's leadership on its own. I don't think you can interview every single Lions player that's ever played with Stafford, and I don't think – I think it, the answers will be consistent all the way across the board. Yeah. From the outside, he's losing, so people think, oh, he's a bad leader. From the outside, he's not leading the circle and screaming and yelling and getting everybody hyped up for the for the cool content that comes out of it. He's not a leader. From the outside, he is seems like a stoic on the sideline and doesn't necessarily get super hyped or doesn't necessarily get super low. He's not a leader. Stafford is badass, man. The way he fights through injuries, the way he fights through the adversity that he's been through in this city, the shit that he's been through with this city and how many years he's been here like yeah he's paid but like money's not everything yeah you know what i mean like stafford in my opinion it's just my one man's opinion he's he's the greatest quarterback in the nfl yeah golden tate said he was the best quarterback he played with and tate played with wentz and uh it's russell Russell wilson Wilson. think about that yeah it is that's crazy man think about that and tate is one of the greatest guys and players that I know as well, because he just the way he handles himself as a professional yeah. and knows his shit. Coaches didn't. Coaches don't let coaches. <laughs> coaches. A lot of coaches didn't like the way Golden practices and stuff like that. Um, but man, that dude knows how to perform. That's why they call him Showtime Tate. That's that's Showtime. that's that's the goat right there, man. So what do right. you think of uh, uh, JBC, man? Jim Bob Cooter as the offensive coordinator. Honestly, I love Jim Bob. Really. Okay. Jim Bob was he was one of my more favorite coaches, honestly, because he never got high with the highs and he never got low with the lows. No matter how bad we were doing or no matter how good we were cooking on an offense, every single time on a Monday, he had re- things we did good, things we did bad, and it was always consistent okay. with those type of things. Some of the plays, you know, might be repetitive in some way, shape, or form and might not be that much adaptation of the offense over the years. But as an OC, man, I, I love JBC. He was he was an OG in terms of just like in terms of letting the let he he's a big run with the winners type of guy. You're balling this week, he's gonna give you a shot. And okay. you ball out and you do good on that shot, he's gonna give you another shot. And you continuously ball out, then you'll become a guy. And he would allow that type of freedom and override. And he valued staying after practice and getting extra work and stuff like that. Um, I like JBC. Jim Bob is a, what a dope name on top of it. He, he, <laughs> he was honestly one of Jim Bob's greatest feats, which people, fans obviously don't see, is the way he used to teach. The way he taught plays. Because obviously, you know, the Detroit offense, a lot of it, I don't know how it is now. Um, but a lot of it is no huddle. And the way he would essentially give you different metaphors to mem- I mean, you you don't understand like people people really don't understand how much goes into a playbook in terms of how you know, most people just think a bunch of football players are dumb in that sense. 
in terms of the mental side of it, but the way he used to teach it so everybody could memorize it, every single sign had a full-blown backstory to it, but it was completely made up. But, like, it would be so entertaining, like, depending on what it was and or what it was about in that sense. It was, like, our meetings were stoic at the beginning because it was just him being balanced. If he won, he was shitting on us. If he lost, he was shitting on us, but also praising us for the things we did good. But then when he would get into every week, you adjust your signs. So you had a whole new set of metaphors that he would bring up. And he really, I commend him for the effort that he put in for those signs. Because most teams, it's just, these are the signs, memorize that shit. Okay. Is it true that Jets knew where you guys were running? There was like rumors. They knew about a lot like of our Jets. stuff. Jets, yeah. That's exactly why I said. I mean, literally every time I ran that same out route, they knew that like, that cornerback was right there. They, they, I mean, it's, a, it's a copycat league. Most teams know the stuff that you're running. But if you're too consistent and some of the signs that, that can be repetitive, then they might adjust with it and things okay. like that. Which can kind right. of be rough. So you've had some high praise for Stafford. You've had some high praise for Jim Caldwell, JVC, Golden Tate, like all these guys. So you got a lot of good advice. I'm assuming Darren Fells, you've been mentioned. What's the best advice you've ever gotten being in the NFL? Of just like short-term memory and next play. Meaning my first game when I was on the cards, I got activated from P Squad, and my first game was Thursday Night Football um, against the 49ers. And I had gotten a catch during preseason, like a naked route, and they called that same exact play. And I was like, yo, if this shit's open, I'm, the ball's coming to me. And play happens, I'm wide open, and swoop, goes right through my hands. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. Like, in there, I had some running room after that. Very next play, it's a rub route with me and uh, Larry Fitzgerald. And I set the pick. And he catches it, runs for like 30 yards, and offensive pass interference on me. And literally, it's Thursday Night Football, so there's that one camera that's like following everyone around the field. Like, it's literally in the huddle with us, just like on my back. And I'm just like, I just know they're talking so bad about me on TV right now. (laughs) Rookie, rookie gets his first, uh, you know, promotion from the practice squad. And literally, his first two plays is a drop and an OPI. And I just remember just coming back to the huddle and everybody just like, and then Larry was just like, bro, short-term memory, next play. And like getting over that pretty fast definitely, definitely like helped because it's hard. You know, you, you, you drop that and then you mess up the rest of the game. You're cut the next day. But I wound up playing like really, really well that night um, in terms of blocking and stuff like that. And uh, getting over that probably definitely helped me probably stay a little bit longer in the NFL, which is... uh which is cool, but you got, I guess maybe another best piece of advice is probably like you know petty injuries don't necessarily report them because you'll get cut or you'll get an injury settlement and be gone the next day. And then when you go from team to team from there, they're gonna overvalue that injury and not really think that you're ready to play and or take away from you actually getting signed or activated in that sense. So what do you consider like a petty injury? Like what is that? Like like a little bruise or something? Yeah, petty, a, a bruise, a uh, not a broken finger, but a pretty messed up finger, a rolled ankle, uh, literally, a, I have a dent in my shin. Um, uh, on an extreme level, I, I wouldn't say I'd do it, but a lot of uh, people get concussions all the time and just like, you know, they know damn well they're concussed, but they report it they could get cut they could get their spot taken and it's hard when you you know you're thinking about your health you're thinking about your livelihood you're thinking about 
or I won't get paid anymore. And so it, the, it, the team doctors don't check up on you guys. You guys have to actually report it yourself. It depends. Most people don't know. Like, there is especially like interior line and like yeah. tight ends. Like most plays, you're hitting head to head. Like when you're blocking, it's yeah. boom headshot, and then you guys are blocking hand to hand combat. And that's not something that's seen by like the eye in the sky that's going to report it to your sideline. Like, yo, that guy might have a concussion. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, something like that, that's got to get, you know, reported in that sense. Small tweaks of your hamstring. I remember I was in Detroit. I tweaked my hamstring and like, I shit was messed up. But I was seeing this, uh, this lady, her name's Mary Brannigan. She's the goat. She's uh, like a dry needle specialist slash chiropractor over in Windsor, Canada. Um, but I used to see her, I literally messed my hammy up on like a Monday and was playing by Thursday. Um, but was able to do it because of her and like doing stuff like that, self fixing yourself in some situations is better and smarter for you than going to go, going to go, uh, see the trainer about it. There's a lot of, you kind of got to figure it out as yourself, especially as you kind of become more and more of a vet figuring out what type of things are you going to report and what type of things aren't you going to report. What's the funniest moment in Detroit Lions locker room? Like, what was the funniest moment or, like, some prank or something that you remember? You could say a wild moment. Patricia took our ping pong table out of the freaking locker room as soon as he came there. Because that's just, if you you shouldn't have time to play ping pong. (laughs) Like, that's classic Patricia in that sense. Um, Funniest moment. Did you guys ever get it back? Like, if you guys won a game or something? Or was it just out for, like, forever? Say that one more time. Sorry. Did you guys ever get the table back, or was it like out forever, like no, no getting I took it back? That shit out. That shit was literally under a stairwell, like in the back hallway somewhere. Like the, literally, we literally the regime changed, switched. A week later, the ping pong table was gone. That's crazy, dude. <laughs> and yeah. like everybody was like, "Yo, where the, where's the?" Like everybody came back, like, "Yo, where's the ping pong table?" At? And like they're like, "Yeah." Trisha said you shouldn't have time to play ping pong. You should be in your playbook while you're in the locker room. Blah 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 blah. Who was the best ping pong player in there while you guys had it? Um, I want to say it was. I want to say it was Golden. Yeah, I one time saw an IG live. It was like GT and Billingsley going at it, and it was an intense Billingsley's battle. Billingsley's good. Jace yeah. is really good at ping pong too. Um, I love Jace, but GT was really GT was really good. I'm trying. There was one more guy I can't think because it wasn't. I don't think he was there in my second year there. Okay. Um. I can't remember, but Amir, yeah. Abdul, yeah, that's not that's not ringing a bell in terms of the best. Um, I, don't I mean, know. there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of guys. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah guys, yeah. Just, just all day, randomly, all day. Yeah. You know what I mean? I actually heard a story today. Um, Sante Samuel, check out his Twitter. Okay, he was talking about when he was in the Patriots. Um, he used to run that locker room like he he. Coaches like Patricia and Belichick don't like when people aren't adjusting to the culture. And he used to gamble every single day. Some locker rooms, there's a lot. Like when I was in Arizona, there was a lot of gambling. Like you'd see 20, 20 or so thousand dollars flow through the locker room every day. Damn. And yeah, shit's real. I remember my, my buddy, uh, he was a, lo- a locker buddy and he was undrafted like me. He went practice squad to active just like me. And he was still practice squad at the time. Went over and started playing. Uh, I think they were playing, uh, I don't know what they were playing. They were shooting dice. And 15 minutes, he came back with $15,000, started with four hundred, and was Damn. freaking out. Literally bought a car the next day. Bought a, uh, 
they got a Dodge Challenger. I remember, I remember that's that. funny. Um, but I don't think what what was the question that you asked? Sorry, I know I kind of went off topic there. Um, like the funniest moment or like a funny moment in the locker room. <laughs> there was a fight one time after a game. That shit was wild. In, in Detroit or Arizona? Arizona. That shit was oh. wild. A bunch of people finger pointing and brawl breaks out and then. Two minutes later, the media's in the locker room, and everybody has to act like nothing just happened. <laughs> that shit was hilarious, especially when I was watching it from a distance. <laughs> Have you ever been in a fight, or like not you individually, but like your team, like when they do those joint practices with those other teams sometimes, like during training oh, yeah. camp? That shit, yeah. is, joint practices are like, I wouldn't say they're dumb, but they're dumb because it's like you can't. When you try and go half speed, it's hard to go half speed in football. Like you yeah. just, it's, it's hard to. And one person's bound to go harder than the other person. And when something like that happens, then people start getting mad and, and people start fighting. When we played Oakland, man, we were we like were fighting damn near like as soon as we started, we got into a fight inside drill. And then there was one where a bunch of people like people were coming from the other field and they got to get broken up. And then trying to think when i was in san diego and i was a rookie we didn't i don't think we got into anything with them out there and then you guys what? did a joint practice with the giants last year too right did do yeah with the giants i'm trying to think if we got into anything with them while we're the defense got into it with their offense and like they try and keep you going you know from going over to their field but i mean it's 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 a grind during those joint practices because yeah, I mean, no. it's, it's you're practicing it against your your you know, competition yeah. in that sense. But on top of that, you're also auditioning for those teams. Like, yep. it's not a coincidence that I wind up playing with the Giants after they got to see me all of camp and then play against each other in that sense. Yeah, you know I was going mean? to say, like, when I'm in Allen Park and I go to the joint practices and they're, like, a lot more intense. I see fights breaking out. Like, Oh, I yeah. I mean, it's, it's intense because, I mean, there's, there's fights during games. Yeah. But there's enough people to break it up. When it's during practice, you're like, you're not going to get fined. You're not going to get ejected from the game. So it's yep. just like, let's rock in that sense. And then there's yeah. just dickheads who are trying to start something. Like, just straight up trying <laughs> to make sure that there's a like. There's just dudes like that out there who are just, that's, that's what they thrive off of. Me, it was just like, yeah, I could give two shits at that point, you know, about, you know, fighting or, you know, I, I'm, I'll watch it from a distance unless it directly involves me. But I'm not about to fight somebody who's got pads on. It's the stupidest thing ever. What's the most trash rock? Like, who is the trash rock you've ever heard from, like, individually? Mm. Like, have you ever got it to yourself individually? Have I ever got I mean, I talk a lot of shit. I, oh, okay. I, black, out. I black out when I play sometimes. But I also flip the script. And I'll mess around with people and act like I'm cool with them and then just fuck them up. And like, you know what I mean? Like, yep. it's like a, it's a weird, like in between of like, oh yeah, what's going on, man? How's your day going? Cool word. And just like kick their ass and then talk shit afterwards. <laughs> uh, but, or it's, if you kick someone's ass, then just, I, I black out sometimes. So honestly, there's some things I don't even know what I said. I remember being a younger, like playing like, you know, peewee sports. I remember like a, a, a principal of another school had to like complain to our principal about the shit that I was saying to like the kids on their team. But like I had zero recollection of it, like zero recollection of it. But I think, uh, try to think of the, the biggest, I don't know, but I like, uh, the one guy, I wouldn't say he's like a big shit talker. He's probably one of the funniest guys I know is, uh, Matt Castle. 
Oh, really? The quarterback? Oh, the quarterback. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Matt is probably one of the most hilarious dudes. Probably one of the most hilarious dudes I've met while playing. I re- <laughs> I don't know. If, yeah, it was a game. It was, uh, I want to say, Oakland, maybe preseason. Or it was a preseason. Yeah, when we played the Raiders, it was preseason. We played the preseason. Week, week one. Yeah, week one. Oakland or somebody else. It might have been somebody else, but I remember <laughs> he was uh, – he was giving like the pre-snap read, yeah, and he's talking, you know, blue eighty, blue eighty, or so and so's the mic, and like, but like the words he says before set go, he goes, "You're not supposed to fucking be there." Set go. <laughs> I'm. Everyone's fucking hears and everyone's laughing, and then the play winds up being an interception on top. It's just like. <laughs> But Castle's such a funny dude. Like all he could do was laugh about it when he got to the sideline. He was like, "What did what did Patricia say? What would the coaches say?" Like they couldn't hear. Oh, not it. Patricia. My bad. It wasn't Patricia. It was um, no. That was Patricia. Patricia. Oh, it was Patricia. You couldn't. Uh, you couldn't hear it from the sideline. You had to be. You couldn't even hear it if you were a receiver. You you had to have been an interior lineman, linebacker, or tight end or running back. Okay. And I was dying laughing when that <laughs> shit happened because it was just like. Only Castle would say some shit like that. The defense is laughing as he's saying it. It was, it was hilarious. That's so you're funny. trying to like catch the defense, and he ends up throwing a pick. He wasn't trying to catch the defense. He was literally saying, like, when you every every like you, it's hard to explain it until you watch hours of film until you throw up. But you know exact. You don't know exactly what a defense is going to do, but you know for the most part what a defense is going to do, where they're going to line up, who's going to blitz. What where each person's dropping, where they're gonna be at pre-snap, and where they're right. gonna go post-snap. And there was a linebacker who was he was completely out of position, like he should not have been there. <laughs> and Castle just like in the pre-read snap, he was like, "You're not supposed to fucking be there." So go <laughs> like it was just hilarious because he was wrong, and it was just, it was hilarious. Like I can't, you'd have to be there to laugh. But that's something I'll probably never forget in terms of just awesome. funny ass moments, man. That was unreal, hilarious. That's great, dude. Why did you choose the number 84? Oh, I didn't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, I mean, I came into the league and I was at, um, where was I? I was number 89 with the Cardinals. Okay. Came to the Lions P-Squad and literally you just get to your locker and especially when you're on P-Squad, you just got a jersey in there waiting for you. There ain't, there's a, there's a, there's a, Definitely a, a hierarchy in that sense in terms of practice squad versus active when so that, you go team to team. So that number didn't really mean anything to you personally? No, definitely not. Uh, it, yeah, the only thing it meant was my autograph. I incorporate my number, so it just went from 89 to 84. I used okay. to I wore 80 in college, um, but when I got to the Cardinals, I'm not sure who had it. And then when I got to the Lions, I don't think I even had a choice. It was just like, yeah, that's it's your number, bro. <laughs> <laughs> like there's really like no uh you just don't have clout when you're on the practice squad and like yeah. it's it's hard there's there's definitely just like a it's just different in that sense i i, I wish i could have chose my number but yeah well uh Pierre, you got anything else for her no nah, man i mean that's you it. we spent an hour just talking to you man yeah <laughs> i have no idea what time it is or what time we even started but that was awesome man. I, I, yeah, that it was, was uh it was a really cool podcast it was uh I haven't done like a really sports related podcast. So it yeah. was really cool to uh 
you know, chat up with you guys and uh, yeah, anything to shout out, man? Like what you're doing or yeah. IG, Twitter, whatever. Uh, I mean, what I'm doing now is, you know, I I invest in real estate. I invest in uh, large multifamily uh, apartment buildings. I'm um, in select markets across the country. Um, I invest in the cannabis space. Um, owning some some land up in Michigan. Um, working on a few other projects out in uh, other states as well. And now I just founded a new global media company. Um, it's a agency-based digital media company where we represent small businesses and uh, real estate professionals. So real estate agents, investors, and brokers and help them scale their content strategy. Um, that's kind of what I'm working on. My Instagram is at hawkvalis80, H-A-K-V-A-L-L-E-S, number 80, and heavily on there and heavily on LinkedIn as well. Always looking to connect with new people and uh, do a little biz dev. Awesome, dude. Well, Hakeem, we appreciate you being totally honest, dude, you know, saying your stories. Yeah, I don't don't have a coach to, you know, to uh, oversee me or whatever the hell I say on an interview, so fuck it. Retired life. (laughs) (laughs) It was a great challenge, guys. Um, Yeah, I appreciate you, man. having me. Yeah, take yeah. care, dude. And, you know, maybe we could do this again in the future, dude. It was a lot of fun, dude. Oh, yeah. Especially when, right. when I go back. We'll do one yeah, a lot. We got to meet up someday. <laughs> that was, got to go catch a quick butter or something like that. All right. Word. All right. All right. Take care, man. We appreciate you, dude. Boom. All That's right, man. guys. That is a wrap to episode 66 of the Pride Podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed. And I'm Tyler, and I'm signing out. All right. I'm here, and I'm out. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.